We're going to get started with Sunday school. Your uh, handout for this morning is near the back. A lot of excitement going on, not the least of which is that there's coffee back, right? And that is, that is exciting. <laughs> Thank you to those who served our coffee this morning and prepared that so we could... I mean, it's, how long has it been? Has it been like 15 months or something? It's hard to believe, right? Hard to believe the lost year that was COVID. So anyway, glad to have coffee back. That's fun. Privileged to have Dr. Ware with us this morning. Those of you in first service got to enjoy that and looking forward to second service uh, as he unpacks scripture for us again. TES Sunday with a testimony from James Sullivan and just thrilled to see the culmination of his time of training here at the Expositor Seminary. Um, amazing. Seems like it was just yesterday that he was visiting asking about the seminary and Adam and I were talking to him about it, having just finished ourselves. So it's a sweet time, the life of our church. We're going to continue this morning with something that we started back a few weeks ago before our pause in Sunday school and really pick up with part two of sorts to our consideration of digital media. Just a reminder, we've been in a series where we're looking at really what we might call practical theology. Wanting to ask, how does the Bible tell us to think, or how does what the Bible teaches shape our thinking about a particular issue? So we've called this series Old Theology, Old, in scare quotes, for current times. We just simply wanted to look at how theology that we hold dear, that we would all affirm, that we've studied, that we've seen from the scriptures, impacts the way that we think and live and do in everyday life. We've essentially went as how does what the Bible teaches shape our thinking? This, this series has been focused on a so what or a therefore of what Christ says in his word so that we grow in our understanding of how the implications of theology apply to our everyday experiences. The last time we were together, our attention was on the subject of digital media, specifically how the theology or the doctrine of a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life should impact how we conduct ourselves when we consume and when we communicate in digital media. If you remember that, that was really a lesson where we simply could read Ephesians 5, uh, Galatians 5, and close in prayer. We read what the fruit of the Spirit is. We think about the tenor of most interaction on social media, most consumption on social media, and there's immediate conviction, right? But we spent time laying the foundational groundwork to say every everything that we do in life is under Christ's lordship. If scripture clearly teaches that, and it does, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we do all to the glory of God, or whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father, that that means that Christ is Lord over our social media accounts, over our social media usage, over our consumption of digital media, whether that's news or other sources. And his name, because it's stamped on us as Christians, is stamped on how we conduct ourselves in those avenues. Since you said this, we can't claim to value Jesus Christ in every dimension of life as regulated by the word of God if we shield our digital media habits and patterns from the light of God's word. And so we just wanted to look at and be reminded of how the doctrine of, the, of being spirit-filled as Christians Spirit-filled as the church, spirit-indwelt as the church, affects how then we engage those media outlets and platforms. That was foundational. 
more important, arguably, than anything I'm going to say today. And when I'm done today, we're not going to have this complete house about how to think about digital media. I'm like laying one tiny layer of stone on top of the foundation from last week this morning. That's really the goal this morning is to just encourage you to think critically in some areas about how you engage in digital media in light of what we looked at last time, which is the foundational realities, which all of, all of our lives, how we act, how we conduct ourselves, even our pursuits, our motivations for those things have to be governed by the fact that we're Christ's children and dwelt by his spirit. Importantly, we pointed out last time that there's no moral high ground for not being on digital media. It's easy in a lesson like this to sort of make it sound like the holy ones are simply those who don't have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, who don't read news on the internet, etc. And we said, look, that's not the point of this. You can be ungodly and have a flip phone and still read a paper newspaper, right? And you can be godly and pursue God-glorifying usage of digital media. So the point of this lesson is not to say if you read Twitter, you're ungodly, and if you unplug from Twitter or Instagram, you're more godly. That's not the point. You may need to wrestle with whether that's a logical inclusion, and we looked at that last time, and that's where we'll close again today. So there's nothing inherently good, nothing inherently bad about being on or off social media. And we acknowledged last time the biggest problem with digital media consumption and communication, whatever its form, is us, right? Sinners use digital media platforms. They're used for sin, therefore. That's the problem. And because of this, like the very nature of social media actually exasperate, exacerbates the temptations we face to sin. So when we think about these things, even this morning, there's way more bad examples, it seems, than good. Not necessarily because the mediums themselves are inherently bad, but because of us as sinners. And so when we look and do a critical analysis, there's going to be a negative bent because most of the negative examples and, frankly, our experience and what we're doing with our lives through these things tends to be negative. So this is a bit of a different kind of Sunday school lesson than we're used to. Certainly this is not going to be Bible exposition as you're accustomed to. And uh, this is more like if, if we could sit down and have coffee and you said hey, can we just talk about how to think about my usage of digital media and say, yeah, look, here's some critical things to think about. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? That's really the point of this lesson today. Just to pull the car over before we move on to another topic and give you just a few things to prod you, to, to get you thinking a little bit and hopefully stir you up to have communication with one another about your usage of these things. I, I have to ask... I, Sometimes I feel like this may apply to about 3% of the room. So I'm going to make some qualifications. How many of you are, would say you're active on social media? It's okay. Put those hands up. Okay. So active, does, and did any of you keep your hands down where, that you would say, well, I'm not active, but I read it every day? Meaning you peruse, you look, you just don't post. So that, I, that, that's active, okay? So most of you, more of you than maybe... I would have thought. Okay, good. So more of you apply this. So you're active on social media. And look, social media is the easy target, and it may just come out, I may say social media, but other forms of digital media, including the way we consume news, uh, in really what's become political entertainment, and all kinds of things that, that are coming at us in all the platforms available. It's not just social media. We want to start by just being reminded, that, and, or maybe reminded or informed for the first time, that for the last several years, astute cultural critics, sociologists, scholars in various fields, not simply Christians, have started to critically review our digital age and everything that's, that's involved in that. How patterns of life are being shaped, how patterns of thinking 
are being shaped by the digital age in, what we, in which we live. And as Christians, those who are being renewed by the transforming of our minds, right, it makes sense that we would critically consider these things too. Ross Duthot said this, and this was probably four, four years ago, in an article called Resist the Internet, New York Times. He says this, search your feelings. You know it to be true. You are enslaved to the internet. Definitely if you're young, increasingly if you're old, your day-to-day, minute-to-minute existence is dominated by a compulsion to check email and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram with a frequency that bears no relationship to any communicative need. Compulsions are rarely harmless. The internet is not the opioid crisis. It's not likely to kill you unless you're hit by a distracted driver or leave you ravaged and destitute, but it requires you to focus intensely, furiously, and constantly on the ephemera that fills a tiny little screen and experience the traditional graces of existence, that is, your spouse, your friends, your children, the natural world, good food, and great art, in a state of perpetual distraction. Used within reasonable limits, of course, these devices also offer us new graces, but we are not using them within reasonable limits. They are the masters, we are not. They are built to addict us, as psychologists have said. We primp and perform for them as for a lover. We surrender our privacy to their demands. We wait on tenterhooks for every like. The smartphone is in the saddle and it rides mankind. Look, that's a penetrating paragraph, right? We are addicted in a sense, right, to the internet, some more than others, but this way of life, our digital way of life is, it's immersive, it, it grabs us, we're, it's intuitive now, it's just how we act, how we function, how we think, and so it's worth just saying, can we critically think about how biblical wisdom applies and should govern the way that we think about what we're doing? And that's really the point of this morning, and we're going to go quick in the time that we have And I just want to give you some critical considerations. Some is an important word. Certainly not all. We could spend weeks and weeks here. And as I've been lamenting with Rick and some of the other pastors, this has been the most like boundary list. They kept moving. Where should I stop? What should I say? What should I not say? I wish I were just governed by a text, but I'm not. And so I'm governed by some critical considerations that I wanted to bring to your attention. So the first one is just this. Consider the machinery of digital media platforms and guard against being taken captive. Consider the machinery of digital media platforms and guard against being taken captive. Just a couple Bible verses that this is not the direct implication from these verses, but an application. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Through what? Through philosophy. An empty deception. According to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. That is, don't be gripped and have life dominated by something that would pull you from all that accords with Christ and is instead accords with with the wisdom of men, the wisdom of the flesh, we may say. And then related, from a positive standpoint, Philippians 4.8, and we looked at this last time, finally then, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then verse 9, he goes on to say it's those things that he had, they had learned from him, the apostolic doctrine. 
Those are the things that are to dominate the Christian mind. The machinery of digital platforms is actually intended to dominate your life and your mind by design and not in those things that Christ would have us be dominated by. Algorithms, feedback loops, constant data tracking, these aren't like conspiracies for people that hate technology. Okay? It's proven. I've given just a couple articles that just begin to dip the toe. They're volumes written by Silicon Valley insiders chronicling how they were a part of the programming that was intended to, yes, addict you, but take you captive to the things that ultimately your sinful heart wants to be taken captive by and put you in an endless hamster wheel of feedback and pursuit and engagement and feedback and pursuit and engagement. And this first point is just simply to say we need to be aware of that and consider that these things aren't neutral. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they're not neutral. We said earlier they're not inherently bad, but the, the machinery behind them is not neutral. It is, it is aimed at controlling, taking captive, steering you. The news websites you frequent knows which type of headlines you like, knows which type of headlines you're most likely to share, which type of headlines you're most likely to scroll through so that they can embed ads. They know which portion of the page as you scroll you're most likely to pause and look at a particular ad. They know how long after you scroll one of the news articles you're likely to go shopping online and place ads in accordance with that. The data that's out there on you and on me is unimaginable. And all of that is used to continually keep you engaged and hooked on the digital media that you think you're in control of that's actually feeding you, right? According to the appetites that ultimately are from within your heart, but that those who know more about the human mind and intensities than some of us are using to keep your attention, to generate clicks and likes and shares and the resulting advertising revenue, etc. So when we think of news, so that we're just not picking on Twitter and Facebook, the news letter that you get in your email, they know exactly the ones that you like the most and the ones that you read and the ones that you open and whether you read the whole thing. And you get those back probably every day, multiple times a day, and you read the stuff that they know that you want to read. And it confirms the biases that we already have about what we're seeking, at least on the surface, to gain new information about. That's just one avenue of this. But it's easy for digital media platforms to take us unwittingly captive because we're unaware that there are active portions of machinery, I keep saying that, to grab you and keep you in this cycle. So there's a logarithm data-driven selection of material, for example. These aren't carefully curated journalistic articles, right, to keep you informed, fair and balanced, neutral, right, so that you can make informed decisions. That's not what's coming, that is not what is coming to your email inbox, okay? That's not what's coming when you open a particular news site on your internet browser. And we need to at least be aware of that. Right? These things are intended to make you love it or hate it because strong emotion results in engagement. And from there, 
They do other things with that, but we think that we're reading news. And so, look, this reality has led to books with titles like this, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now by Silicon Valley Insiders, where they chronicle these things. And you read it, and it's somewhat terrifying. And this isn't a chicken little thing, like, you know, throw all your phones and we'll burn them right here and we'll run off and we'll be unplugged nomads for the rest of our days. That's not the point. But we need to be aware that these things are coming for us. And so, I'm just going to jump to the end here on this first point. Most of this affects us in how we engage with the news. How we engage with what we believe is informing us about what's going on in our society. So, again, the first point is just simply consider that it's not neutral. Consider that there are machinery, there is machinery at work that's intended to captivate your sinful desires and that has other motives than, than you may think. It's not just to inform. And how then do we read the news? How do we go about engaging with media? So here's just a few suggestions. Make sure you have the whole story. Make sure you have the whole story. Any engagement, whether it's hot button news or otherwise, make sure you have the whole story. Don't limit it to the headline in your email. Seek multiple and reputable sources. And you're probably saying, well, what are those? I don't know. <laughs> That's why there's the word multiple. Look, there are reputable sources. There are reputable journalists that are doing hard work. There are reputable news reporters that actually report the news. But we need one another to help us find what those are and on what particular topics those are. And so that's where discipleship comes in. There is not a, a one-source news station, okay, that is, gets the Christian blessing of this is where you get all of the news that you need and that's always trusted, okay? And yes, I have one in my head right now that I want to say, okay? It rhymes with box. The, that alone is not the only reputable news source. That's the point. Are there reputable news, uh, are there reputable journalists that, that operate through that medium? Of course. And there are with CNN and MSNBC as well and other places. So we need to be careful about not looking only at one place and we need to talk to one another about where we get our news. Work hard to distinguish between news and opinion. Rick and I were talking this morning, like, we, we tend to think that most editorials now are news reporting or that, and we tend to treat things that are editorials as news reporting. Work hard to distinguish between that. Recognize our tendency toward confirmation bias. What is that? That's just being predisposed to believe the best about our team and the worst about the other team. And don't only seek news from your team. That's kind of the, the point of that. But recognize that tendency. And lastly, don't rely on your social media feed or a daily email from a large network as your primary source for news. Right? That's the machinery that's behind those things makes that an unwise sole use um, for our news input. All right, next. Let's move off of that one. Consider the penchant for attention-seeking and self-exaltation and guard against justifying sin. Second consideration. Consider the penchant for attention-seeking and self-exaltation and guard against justifying sin. This gets more at social media. My wife and I were watching television just the other night. A commercial came on to recommend a skincare product. 
the person selling the product was talking, the name came up, and then the person's expertise came up underneath of their name. It's not a dermatologist. It was not a well-known spokesperson or celebrity speaking on behalf of a dermatologist. It actually said Instagram influencer. And it wasn't a joke. <laughs> we live in an age with Instagram influencers. We live in an age where everyone is in the business of getting attention for whatever. And some people have made a lot of money for doing that, like Instagram influencers. Probably closer to home for us is just the, the, the penchant for pride and boasting, stirring up envy and discontentment, flattery and insult, all of those things becoming accepted behavioral norms when we're in the realm of social media. And so the second consideration is to consider the penchant for those things in these mediums and not justify sin just because it's the new accepted norm in a particular medium. So just to be awkward and make the point, I don't think any of you, if, if you're married, would take your, your wife or your husband out for a nice meal and invite 10 of us to go with you and sit in the corner. And after every move that you make, you order a nice steak and it comes and you look at it and then you kind of glance over at us and give us a thumbs up and we look back and say, I like that. Good. It's, it's absurd. But is it that different from taking a picture while you're on the date and saying... Hashtag best husband ever and sending that out, right? We could go on and on. It's fun, right? You wouldn't take anybody on vacation with you, etc. We could think about these things. But there's a, a really a, an endemic in our society right now. There are people that, uh, that, are, that are chronicled. They've done journalistic articles on them that are talking about how their entire life decisions about vacation, honeymoons, and otherwise were affected by whether something was going to be grammable, whether they were going to Instagram, whether they would stay at a particular place for their honeymoon, not because of the enjoyment that they thought that they would have there on vacation with their family, but on whether or not people who were watching it on Instagram or through social media would like it. That is the accepted behavioral norm. That is pride and boasting and stirring up envy and discontentment or flattery and insult, those aspects of life. And we need to recognize the penchant for that in all of our hearts and how these mediums feed that and guard against justifying sin. We talked last time, look, sin through digital media platforms is confrontable, clearly, the body of Christ, and we should confront one another when we see that. But it, it's hard in this arena because these things have become standard fare. So what would be boasting if you and I were talking is not necessarily boasting if it's through Twitter. What would be stirring up envy unnecessarily in, in a conversation in this room, we don't look at the same way if it's an Instagram post about someone else's perfect life that's been staged to make everyone else want their perfect life that actually isn't really that perfect. So I'm not... Please hear me, I'm not talking about simply sharing photos with family and friends. I'm talking about wanting to do something so epic, not because of the enjoyment of it, but so that other people will think that it's, that it's epic. That's one avenue of this, this penchant that that stirs up in us toward these things that, frankly, we would call sin in any other avenue. There's a feedback loop for that, right? Sociologists talk about, the, and psychologists talk about the dopamine 
high that we get when we see likes. Look, I'll just tell you from experience. I shared last time personal testimony. I'm not on Facebook because I like the likes. It becomes consuming. I mean, in my very pathetic Twitter existence, I looked to see the three people who liked the things that I retweeted. (laughs) And I couldn't stop. I can't imagine what that would be like with a larger platform or with, 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 with more vested there. It's, it was sin in my own heart wanting to be um, indulged. And we need to consider the, our penchant towards sin in those arenas and, and not justify it. Virtue signaling falls under this category, right? That's a motive to project our values publicly for public sake rather than actually putting them into practice. Right? That's the likes, retweets, shares that say, I'm with that over there so that you know and think that I'm with that. That's why now they put (laughs) buttons that allow you to share articles at the top of the article after you've read the headline. Isn't that interesting? You'd think they would be at the bottom. But they're at the top. So you share it based on the headline so that you can say, I'm with the kind of thinking that's in this headline or I'm against it. How awful is this headline? That's just one example. But all of those things feed pride. On the other end, on what we share, we can, we can really stir up envy in our brothers and sisters. There's other things that we could say here. Matthew 6 and talks about this notion of it's related to virtue signaling, right? Christ says don't do things that are good in the presence of men for the praise of men. Matthew 6, 2, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Later he says in verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Similarly in verse 16, whenever you fast, Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now I doubt anyone in here would be tempted to to tweet, feeling terrible today, fasting, hashtag godliness, right? (laughs) But we, 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 we do that with other things that are virtuous. We want people to see our good works not trusting that our reward is ultimately with the Heavenly Father, as Jesus says there. And again, look, it's not saying we, our good works are, should be manifest before men, but not because we're self-promoting them, right? Other verses there that help us see not to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, not to work merely as a man-pleaser, but to work for the Lord and to be humble. It's important that we ask ourselves hard questions, things like this. Have we missed sweet moments in life because we were more worried about sharing it than enjoying it? That's just one aspect that falls under this category. Not to mention, have we engendered envy from the part of a brother or sister in here by something that we're constantly trying to put on Instagram to make them think a certain way about us? Things like that. We can go through the list. But we need to ask ourselves hard questions in this arena. Mainly, are we calling sin something else because it's an accepted norm in these digital media platforms? Thirdly, and, and the third and fourth are very related, so I'll read them both together and then we'll unpack them a little bit. Consider the elimination of expertise and accountability and guard against consuming what is foolish. 
and consider the elimination of expertise and accountability and guard against communicating above your pay grade. So these two are related. And namely, they're related to this phenomenon with digital media platforms and the availability for us to all self-express at will. We've sort of eliminated expertise from our normal life experience and we've eliminated accountability. So what do we do on the consuming side? Right now, we need to recognize that there are, look, there's no barriers to entry. There's no real accountability before a post, right? There's no editing. There's no authoritative validation that says, here's why what this person says about X is important for you. We're all just saying stuff. Some people are real experts and are saying stuff out of their expertise. Many are not experts. Many are not even close bar debating with the experts, all at the same level, all at the same proverbial table. And that is a phenomenon that has really taken off because of these digital media platforms, right? Furthermore, the algorithms that were mentioned earlier ensure that there's really no hierarchy of credibility. Whatever you like is what you're going to see when you get into your Facebook feed, not the most credible experts on a given subject. I think we would all say we know that, but we need to be reminded of that, right? Everything is out there. It's all sort of just all at the same level. So my neighbor, this is totally fake. I don't have a neighbor who actually thinks this way, but my neighbor's opinion about a medical decision we make for our children is at the same level as our pediatricians on Twitter, on Facebook, right? On a feed, a, a link from a family member, to a Facebook account or something like that, a post. I'm sure I'm saying things incorrectly, but a post, right, that gets shared dozens of times, thousands of times, can deal with the same subject matter that, that I may have just been in an office talking to a doctor about. And we unwittingly treat those as, as the same. We've sort of eliminated expertise from the equation of life and what we consume. And we've eliminated the accountability that should have been there before something like that even gets to that level where we would consider it. Everything's just out there, right? Printing presses in everyone's hands without the hard work of cultivating clarity, cultivating wisdom, and receiving feedback from an editor. I'm looking at a few folks in this room that have written books, okay? With Twitter, you just say whatever you want and it goes to however many people are willing to look at it, right? You don't generally stroll in the New York Times and ask for a writing position. I'd like to put something out in your paper this week. You can't knock on the door of Crossway or Baker Academic and have your work taken seriously, at least without references. You can't have a paper published in a peer-reviewed article or a, an article in a peer-reviewed journal without peers, right, like that are reviewing things. Like, there's, a, there's accountability. There's a barrier to entry that ensures that expertise is, is somewhat maintained. Digital media platforms take all that away. And we need to be aware of that when we're consuming media so that we don't consume what is foolish, right? Who needs theological training, maturity that comes with time, and the affirmation of godly elders in a local church when you can create a YouTube channel or cultivate a Twitter following? And just because somebody has a platform doesn't make someone an expert. That's the other side of this. Just because it's out there doesn't mean it's worth your, your hearing. 
We act and engage as if having the availability to say whatever we want makes us all experts on everything. And that's simply not the case. And digital media platforms can, can help us do that. Look, sports fandom provides a, a ready and easy illustration. We all, if you, if you like sports, you know the armchair quarterback, right? And prior to the last few years in Kansas City, there were probably many in this room, I'm guilty of this as well, of basically talking about important positions on an NFL football team like quarterback as if I could do it better than the guy in the field, which is insane, right? Like crazy. But we sit back and criticize a professional athlete about what he missed or what he should have done or why did you run that play or I can't believe you didn't see this. It's crazy, right? Now we do that with everything in life. It doesn't matter what a doctor says. It doesn't matter about the training over here. It doesn't matter about this person's theological acumen and expertise. I feel differently and I can say that. And they're all expected to be equal because the platforms put them out and they're on the same level. Uh, A heavily researched and years-long deep dive in the New York Times is at the same level as, as a guy who has an opinion about vaccines and also sends out cat videos, right? But they're both right there, okay? It's up to you to make the discernment, to have the discernment to decide which is which, which has expertise, which has been vetted, which has done those things. But it takes work. Recently, teachers, professional athletes, former athletes, sports talk shows hosts, countless folks that were not qualified in any way were rendering commentary on a complex legal situation or a nation that was awful, difficult, had all kinds of different layers to it. And it was amazing to see how many unqualified voices were commenting. And we can be guilty of that too. And there's a pastoral tension here. Look, your accessibility to sound theological resources is unparalleled, and that is a wonderful grace of God that I trust has strengthened you and strengthened our church. But the pastors here, the elders here, we know that we're competing between Sunday, with what you hear between Sundays from pastors of your choice, from theologians of your choice, from all of those kind of things. And we're jealous, and I just want to say we're jealous, not envious. Not envious that you're not reading my blog that I don't have, okay? Jealous, jealous for you. Jealous for you because you're sheep in this body and we're going to give an account for you. And that factors in here. How you choose to engage with something that hasn't maybe been vetted, it hasn't been proven, it hasn't been established, And you know how precious this real estate is up here and how guarded that is by your elders? And yet you leave here and all manner of theological discourse you you can take in and, and we're jealous for that. You expect this to be guarded. You don't expect that on a Sunday morning we're just gonna let anybody walk up here and start talking. But we're not we don't exercise that same level of guardedness and discernment out and about in digital media platforms because so much is available. We need to maybe turn that up a little bit. I should ask, are you willing to take a hard look at what you consume? What credential, what qualification, what provenness is there to establish someone or something or some outlet that you regularly give your heart and mind to? Ask those questions. Remember that just because the, the medium has sort of rendered expertise null and void does not mean that it's actually null and void. Ask, Pastor, what do you think about this book, this blog, this podcast? We love those conversations. Wonderful conversations. So secondly and relatedly, consider the elimination of expertise and accountability and guard against communicating above your pay grade. 
This is on the speaking side. The other side was on the consuming side. This is related and on the speaking side. If, if expertise has rendered, been rendered null and void, then anybody can say anything about anything. But that doesn't mean that we ought to. And so at least here in this room, we can say eye to eye, like, let's not comment about things that we don't have the expertise, the maturity, the wisdom, the knowledge to comment on. That's really the point of this. Right? We should be quick to hear and slow to speak. We should read the wonderful Proverbs that say even a fool is wise when he's silent. Right? That applies to how we communicate with digital media platforms. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to ask ourselves questions. I'm going to blitz through this for the sake of time. Number one, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? That's an important question to ask. I, look, I don't know how much you engage on various things, but who are you talking to when you sit down and pen a post that you want to go to the world about something you feel strongly about that happened at the grocery store? Like, who are you talking to? That's a, that's a worthwhile question. Who do you want to see this? What are you commenting on and why? But, but firstly, who? Right? Are you thinking about the body of Christ? Are there faces in mind? Are there people that you're in discipleship relationships with that are in your mind? Are you just talking to whoever, <laughs> whoever out there but getting your self-expression and your opinion out there? We need to ask, at least be willing to ask, who are you talking to? More importantly, am I qualified to comment on this issue? Am I qualified to comment on this issue? The situation in Minneapolis that I referenced just a minute ago, I was not qualified to comment on that issue. I was qualified to comment if somebody asked me a question about what scripture teaches about a particular aspect that was brought up in a particular situation. I would have gladly opened up scripture and dialogued with somebody. It's my job. But I was not qualified to publicly comment on that situation. I didn't have the knowledge of the situation. I'm not a legal expert. Right? A whole lot of things that rendered my public commentary completely unnecessary and, and inappropriate. Just one example. But when we ask and we consider that these media platforms kind of reduce expertise, they eliminate accountability, we need to guard against commenting and, and talking about things that are above our pay grade, that we don't have the knowledge, the wisdom to talk about. So the second question there, are you qualified? Am I qualified to comment on this issue? And then the third question is, no, really, am I qualified to comment on this issue? Next, is what I'm going to say going to be constructive? It's going to be constructive. It's going to be helpful for the body of Christ. We may ask this, am I being too quick to speak? I want to give you these. These are from Alan Jacobs in an article. It's, it's, you have this on the back of your sheet. I gave you just some things that may be helpful for you to read. This is from his article. I'm thinking it over in the American Conservative. He was talking about the, the being quick to comment. He says these things, these principles. These are very helpful. I don't have to say something just because everyone around me is... I don't have to speak about things I know little or nothing about. I don't have to speak about issues that will be totally forgotten in a few weeks or months by the people who at this moment are most strenuously demanding a response. I don't have to spend my time in environments that press me to speak without knowledge. If I can bring to an issue heat but no light, it's probably best that I remain silent. Private communication can be more valuable than public. Delayed communication made when people have had time to think and to calm their emotions is almost always more valuable than immediate reaction. 
And some conversations are more meaningful and effective in living rooms or at dinner tables than in the middle of Main Street or digital Main Street. Those are helpful, and you can look those up under this, this notion of recognize the elimination of these things, that your barrier to entry in a conversation is not what it once was, and so now you need to ask yourself hard questions to say, is what I'm communicating necessary and helpful? Truncated conclusion was what we concluded with in the lesson last time. You can find the handout online if you want to be refreshed and reminded about those things on our website. And that is, if we can't handle social media or digital platforms, whether it's news consumption or otherwise, without sin, then we need to give it up. First, come to grips with that, set it aside, repent, and seek to walk in wisdom. Right? We need to be willing to, to do that, if that's the case. We can't handle it if we can't maintain our godly integrity while we're engaging with those things. Starting there and then working back, then, the, the second application for conclusion is, Talk to one another. Talk to your elders. Talk to your pastors. Talk to your care group leaders and get help and discipleship in this arena. Grab somebody that you're willing to say, hey, I've been pressed by an employer to address this issue through Facebook for some reason. Can we talk about that? Or hey, can we talk about how you handle your digital media? Brother, sister, can we sit down and just talk through these things? How do you navigate that? Man, have those conversations. Don't make this a, an area of life that's like off-limits from body life, from discipleship, from shaping and sharpening.